Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Behind the Glass and our F1 special series, which I think I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for after the checkered flag. <laughs> once it once the checkered flag has been waved and that was kind of like this as close as i got to giving this series a name uh, if you've never listened to it before essentially after each formula one race of the 2021 season paul wallace and i and potentially other guests further along in the season get together to kind of talk through the race to review the race all the big storylines that have happened uh, or that happened in the race and maybe have happened in the last like, 24 hours or so now as you can probably tell if you're listening or watching we're not together, um, romantically or physically, um, with the easing of some restrictions here in England. Uh, I'm on a road trip again. Thank God. Woohoo! I'm out making content for the main channel. I can't believe you're in Italy. It's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not in Italy. I'm in Yorkshire. Um, just, you know, very similar. Actually, I just have to say there's a beautiful sunset outside, so I could be in Italy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it means that we are having to record this via Zoom, as is the world as the way of the world since coronavirus hit. Um, but fingers crossed this will work. I'm, I'm feeling like it's going to work. It did take us 20 minutes to set up. <laughs> we did try yeah, some other. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the way with Zoom. It's just that disconnect from <laughs> talking. But yeah, There's we, our we first definitely... awkward pause. <laughs> now that we've got it out of the way, though, we'll never do it again. It's going to be a smooth flow from here. <laughs> so, my question to you, Paul, is have you watched the full race now? Because I know you didn't actually have a chance to watch the race yesterday. I was watching it in parts on my SkyGo phone whilst I was in the garden of my auntie and uncles. It was so disconnected. So I frantically watched the YouTube highlights in an attempt <laughs> To, to have some sort of input in today's podcast. I mean, I was going to say, as a co-host of After the Checkered Flag, uh, really useless, uh, really useless <laughs> from you. <laughs> Especially when it was such an exciting race. I mean, another extremely exciting race. I'm trying not to get overexcited by this season, but I kind of can't help it. If, it's gonna, if every race is going to turn out like this, I'm going to have a half attack. Well, I remember, I think it was Turkey last year where I tweeted out that there should definitely be sprinklers on corners and they just flick them on so that we have that extra entertainment. And basically what happened in this race was that exact, I mean, they literally just like drizzled the rain so that the first opening laps would, would kick off. And I actually said to a friend of mine, safety car by lap two. And I was correct. <laughs> Such a Bernie Eccleston thing of you to say. Oh, let's just put sprinklers <laughs> on the track. So Bernie. Right, well, look, enough of the awkward Zoom small talk. Let's get into it and let's do like we did last race for the Bahrain Grand Prix. Run through the order, the finishing order, in reverse. 
basically discussing each driver's kind of race and the thoughts that we had about their weekend. Uh, and we're going to kick things off officially last place, Nicholas Latifi. Now, traditionally, we're quick to slate old Latifi. I kind of had to Google what happened to him to find out why he DNF. But I'm actually going to say it was actually a relatively impressive weekend for Latifi. I mean, made Q2 with Russell, out-qualified Russell in Q1. And, you know, I, I don't think it was a disaster. It's a shame that, you know, as I said, in the finishing order, he was last. <laughs> Again, one of those drivers that in race one, I didn't actually realise didn't finish the race. I did, I did know that he didn't finish the race this time round. Um, but <laughs> as with much of my input from this podcast, I have no idea what happened. Oh, Nicholas Latifi. We don't give him much attention, which I think is a shame. And as I say, I kind of quickly Googled it and I just still don't know why he didn't finish, but he didn't. So that's, that's unlucky for Williams. Um, now, lucky for us, we can get straight into some big chat here because next up on the official finishing order, 19th and 18th, George Russell and Valtteri Bottas. Arguably, well, no, I would say maybe the second biggest moment of the race. We're going to come on to, of course, Lewis Hamilton sliding off, making a mistake. Lewis Hamilton making a mistake. Who knew that was a thing? Um, but yeah, <laughs> let's, let's get straight into it. I'm just going to ask you straight out. Who do you think potentially was at fault for the Russell Bottas incident? Now, we're coming from this like the, the audience is. After having seen many replays, many slow motion flashbacks of what happened, and the one thing that I picked up instantly when I saw it is these guys were making that split decision at 200 mile an hour. And I tweeted this, zero runoff. That part of the track is either track limits or grass. And that grass is going to be super slippery. There was enough space for George and Bottas to sit side by side. The problem was, obviously, George got pushed onto the wetter part of the track and obviously panicked at 200 mile an hour, thinking that Bottas was going to shut the door or continue to move across. So I think a lot of people have got caught up on George's reaction because he instantly obviously went over to Bottas's car, which we all saw. And I think he got quite a, a slating online for what happened. Um, but we've got to remember that these guys are making those decisions whilst driving at 200 mile an hour with very, very minute room for error and I think what George obviously assumed was happening was Bottas was shutting that door which he didn't fully shut and and kind of and and panicked too much to get out of the way where he could have backed off I think I would say it was a 70% Russell fault 30% Bottas just being in the wrong place at the wrong time and also the fact that he was so far back on the grid anyway that he was in that position is part of the reason why he was at fault. <laughs> I mean, I kind of I kind of want to come on to Bottas's whole weekend in a second. I mean, firstly, can we just talk about oh Williams was overtaking a Mercedes? I mean, this is what was going on here. <laughs> in my mind, I I don't put any of the blame on Russell, but I think it was 100% his not mistake, but, but he caused the collision in the sense where it was his car that touched the grass and spun into Bottas. Now, I think it was a bit of a freak one where in the sense, he, I definitely don't think Bottas swerved, moved aggressively, flinched, did anything that George suggested he might have done. I think Bottas was taking a relatively normal dry line and the space was just closing. And I think you're right, George 
panicked slightly. But actually, if you look at George's wheel and stuff like that, he didn't overreact. It literally was just the minutest of millimeters. Yeah. His, his wheel touched the, the, the damp grass, the white line, and spun around. So a bit of a freak one that's kind of been blown up from something bigger because it was such a spectacular crash. But also, let's not forget a crash between George Russell, the second <laughs> coming to Mercedes, the holy Jesus of a child, uh, <clears throat> crashing into Bottas, the man that theoretically he's going to be replacing. And I think there were some great quotes from Toto Wolff after the race saying that, you know, if you do well, you end up in a Mercedes. If you do badly, you end up in Renault Clio Cup. And this was a Renault Clio Cup weekend for George Russell. And I really like that because, you know, I think maybe that was part of Russell's overreaction. I think he knew how bad that was going to look. It was Williams's genuine chance at points, maybe their only chance this season, who knows. He was overtaking the Mercedes in a Williams. It was Bottas, all of these things, and it went horribly wrong. Hence why I think he slapped Bottas on the helmet. Which I was quite impressed. It's the kind of most like real character we've seen, I think, from, from Russell for a while. So I quite like that. Yeah, I think he is a very calm and collected driver, usually. When you hear him on the radio, he's like, great drive, guys, really good work. And that could have been him finishing in P1 or P20. You would have no idea. So to see a little bit of emotion there, but I also feel like he he had to carry that thought through, even if he felt after the crash that it was his fault because of the position he's in, the seat he is trying to, to get at some point in the future and the fact that it was Bottas when I don't think Bottas knew in his wing mirror, oh, George Russell's coming up, <laughs> which George kind of emulated that Bottas defended in that way because he knew that it was George Russell behind, which I kind of don't believe. And I actually think that deep down George will realize that it was his mistake. And that was, uh, he, he was at fault for that incident um, and I think people are missing the fact that Bottas was sticking a middle finger up at George whilst he was sat in the car. People were quick to jump on George for giving him a tap on the helmet to be like, you weren't even checking whether he was okay. <laughs> George had a middle finger in his face. I'm pretty sure he knew that Bottas was okay. <laughs> I think there was some words exchanged before it got to that point. But, but I think, you know, that brings us nicely to segue onto Bottas and, and his weekend because, I mean, what a, I mean, what happened to him? What a disaster. Okay, fine. Qualifying looked worse than it was. It was a track where it seemed to really bunch up the teams in terms of performance. I think, what, was he four tenths off pole in the end? Which, uh, which you know, is a big margin, but it put him down in eighth where we've seen a lot of tracks over the years that still had him in second place. So, yeah, fine. I mean, you you can look at that in multiple ways, but either way, you don't want to be in wherever he did start. I think it was eighth um, mm. on the grid in the second Mercedes, a joke. And then a race where he just was nowhere. <laughs> and, you know, of course, all the, all the, oh, Mercedes have the best car, hence why Hamilton could carve his way through the field. What about Bottas? He couldn't get past anyone. He was just the whole race sitting there battling Russell in a Williams. So, I mean, <laughs> what on earth must have happened to him? He must have clearly, you know, woken up on the wrong side of bed. But, if, if Bottas haters, I'm not haters strong, but Bottas dislikers needed an excuse to bang their drum, I mean, this was it, and, and I'm banging my drum real loud. You've done, you've done really well there to uh, carry that part. Of the you've got nothing to add. Well, no, my headphone just lost audio. Oh. So all of a sudden, I just had this incredibly eccentric bald man 
Talk, not talking <laughs> away on screen with no audio. I mean, if this is the future of uh, what's it called? Um, far long distance F1 podcast. I think we're going to have to ensure that we're always in the studio after each race. But um, anyway, well, I feel like maybe I summed up Bottas. I, I, I don't think you would have had anything necessarily more to add. So we can move on. The only thing that I will add was I listened to Carlos Sainz's post-qualifying interview and he was talking about he had some good corners, but he wasn't able to stitch the circuit together. And actually, I find Imola a bit like that when I'm racing on the PlayStation, which is nothing like what Formula One does. <laughs> I cannot really believe you're bringing this up. It's like when I'm on the Formula One game on the PlayStation, <laughs> I also struggle to put a lap together. I mean, this is tenuous at its best, but... <laughs> no, no, no. Well, firstly, Imola's not on the Formula One game. So uh, what I'm saying is what Carlos Sainz was talking about, maybe Bottas just failed to air his expression about his laps and how he feels about that circuit, because it's the worst excuse in the world for a Formula One driver to come away and be like, well, I just don't like that circuit. That's why I didn't perform, because that is just terrible. But yeah, you're right. The fact that Bottas wasn't able to improve on his qualifying lap time and position at the start of the grid and find himself in that midfield battle that inevitably ended up with him smashing into the barrier at nearly 200 miles an hour um, is was not a, a weekend to remember, well, Bottas. Well, if Bottas continues to, to repeat these disastrous weekends, I don't think Russell's done himself any favours for a Red Bull-esque mid-season seat swap. Um, but, but my question really is, yeah, no, going into next year, what Mercedes will do, but also what Bottas will do, because I, I would be really shocked if they keep him, uh, you know, if he continues with results like this or weekends like this. But where, as another team, would you want him? I can't really see that happening. I, I think you're off to endurance racing or Formula E or IndyCar, aren't you? Or, or rally. He's been doing a lot of off-season rallying. So uh, it'd be interesting to see. But yeah, how the mighty have fallen. Because I always wanted him to be great. And anyway, let's move on. So uh, 17th in the finishing order, uh, of course, our good friend, Nikita Mazaspin. Now, did you notice, well, you probably didn't because you were distracted, on the Sky commentary, they started calling him Mazapin, Mazapin, like a friend. And I feel like there's been like a memo that's gone out from his dad saying like, we need to stop the Mazaspin trolling. So can we start calling him Mazapin? Because it's, it's not Mazaspin, like it doesn't work. So. I'm sticking with well, Mazapin. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> or you go down Maza Skidpan. <laughs> oh, no. Awful, but I see what Come you're on. Doing. No, 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 <laughs> honestly. You can't try these kind of jokes when we're on a Zoom. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like nothing to say about old Mazapan. Uh, he had a completely nondescript weekend. I mean, he did spin. He didn't crash necessarily into anyone too horrifically. Um, sort of kept himself to himself, a few mistakes in front of other people, finished, I think, half a second or even a minute off Schumacher, pretty disastrous. Uh, interesting insight, which Ted Kravitz spoke about, I think, or maybe Simon Lazenby, that apparently in the years leading up to Formula One, when he was in the junior formula, his dad was paying Mercedes to allow Nikita to go and do private tests in 2016, 2017 Mercedes cars. And he got so used to and maybe arrogant driving those cars that now he's got in a house, which when you said he turned right, it turns left. He, he doesn't know how to handle that. He can't compute. He can't drive around 
the issues, which may be significant, as we said last episode, we're not knocking that that car might be very difficult to drive, but he is looking more and more useless every weekend. <laughs> yeah, I think there was almost a sigh of relief from the commentators. I think it was lap 61 or 51 where he actually did spin by himself. And, like, and there it is. <laughs> yeah, there's a yellow flag in sector two. Oh, Mazepin's in that region. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was quite amazing. But, you know, to prove how difficult this car clearly is to drive, old Mick Schumacher, another spin as well. This one a little bit more dramatic. Uh, kind of kept his head together, though. It was sort of like kind of heart-wrenching radio call to his team, like, just tell me everything's going to be okay. And I was like, oh, Mick. Um, but obviously, a track, when it you know went into the start procedure, we saw the previous winners. And Michael Schumacher was listed in three of the last five victories at Imola. And obviously, Mick there as well. It's a lot of history. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, these guys, as we know, and as we've spoken about, just running their own races. And I guess apart from the spin and, and loss of the front wing, he, he did that and he recovered well to get back to the pits, get a new wing on and carry on, I guess. Anything to add on old Mick Schumacher? Apart from the fact that they're both rookies driving a pretty undrivable car, the fact that they both finished the race, which I'm pretty sure they did, then... Yeah, yeah, officially, I think. <laughs> did uh, I'm, I'm going to question whether you've got the order right. Did Vettel... Finished so this is yeah. So this is a weird one. Vettel DNF'd. Obviously, had some kind of failure, but they brought him in on two or three laps to go. And because of his order, his actual final finishing position is fifteenth because Schumacher and Mazepin were two laps behind. So a bit of a weird computer error there, or not computer right. error, but a weird way of counting it. So yeah, Vettel is next on the list. And I really hope that this is not going to become. Uh, what we're going to see from Vettel in the season. I hope this is going to be the end of Sebastian Vettel. I think he sounded like he was being a bit more positive, especially after qualifying, even though he didn't have a particularly impressive result. He said, look, I'm getting there. You know, I'm starting to understand the car a bit better. There were signs of some improvement. I'm feeling better. Then going into the race, I mean, his car literally basically catches on fire at the <laughs> with the rear brakes. And then just a, just a messy race. But, okay, maybe because the car was all over the place. I, I don't know. It just, oh, it just makes me so sad when I see him dwindling at the back. It's, it's that it's exactly why Rosberg will be sat there in his penthouse in Monaco going, I did the right thing. I quit whilst I was ahead. And everyone slagged him off. Oh, you won the world championship, but you're not going back to defend it. And here we have Vettel, who's trying so hard. He's doing everything he can. And actually, all he's doing is discrediting his world championships. And he'll get to the end of the career and be remembered for this final stint in his F1 career. Um, a little bit like, this is a football reference, Arsene Wenger, Arsenal, who had an incredible career. And then the last three to four seasons, whether he dropped off the players, whatever it was, all of the Arsenal fans turned against him and it was just the worst ending to an incredible era. And that's what I don't want with Vettel. As much as I've given him stick in the past, it's quite funny because he's always been in that front running Ferrari. But what I don't want to see is him, who is such an incredible Formula One driver and a great personality on the grid, to have this every weekend. I mean, we were nervous a little bit when Ricardo started in those Renault cars. And I think the first two races, he had electrical problems and DNFs. And we're like, this is the worst move of all time. Yes. <laughs> the end go back, of the go back. <laughs> so fingers crossed, they can sort their, their, their mess out. Because 
obviously we're going to get on to talking about Stroll, but Stroll again had a really strong race. Very strong, very competitive. Your new favourite driver continues to impress, and I have to say, especially in the car, which you know has taken a huge you know step backwards in terms of its performance in comparison to last year. Lots of other teams have pushed forward, but he's keeping it up there. He's keeping it competitive. Where apart from last year, Forza India usually used to be, you know, within the points somewhere with some strong races and some not so strong races. I think we've still got to hope, keep up on his course and give Vettel a bit more time. I, I just, he needs the running time and he just seems luck is against him. So let's keep our eyes on that. Um, Giovinazzi and Raikkonen. Uh, so Kimi actually got a penalty, didn't he? He was up in, I think, eighth or ninth. He got a very weird 30 second time penalty, something crazy uh, for when he went off the track during the restart procedure and then didn't claim back those positions. It's like, I, I, even this one baffled me, I'll be honest. So officially, Giovinazzi and Raikkonen 14th and 13th, but it was an impressive weekend from Kimi, I think, or at least an impressive race from Kimi, using experience, I guess, in those tricky conditions. God, I sound like Crofty now. <laughs> okay, move, move on. I've got nothing to add. <laughs> so in 12th, old Yuki Sonoda. And you know what? I'm going to say here, I'm a bit worried about Sonoda, that, that he got a little bit ahead of himself back in Bahrain, and his confidence has taken a knock. Because where is the absolute wonder child that we were freaking out about three weeks ago, Bahrain's quality day? I mean, like, you know, obviously overdrove and had that incident in Bahrain. And then again, uh, here in Imola, in a kind of quiet race with nothing really to talk about. And you've got to remember, this is where the guy's been putting in laps and laps and laps in terms of testing and getting used to Formula One cars. That is Alpha Tauri's home track. So if he was ever going to perform well, it should have been there. And I, I worry he's taken a, a couple of steps back here. I think that he had a very strong opener in terms of qualifying in Bahrain, <clears throat> that he got ahead of himself, which is why he overdrove. Mm -hmm. And I think he came back, tried to reset himself in him thinking that he's got more to give. And I think he feels like he can perform better. And then did exactly the same this weekend. I think, I just feel like he overdrove. There was a couple of mistakes. I saw him go off the track a couple of times. And I just feel like he wants to show instantly that he deserves that seat. When actually, I think if he, a little bit more experienced, obviously I'm not a Formula One driver, <clears throat> but he is a rookie. Just settle into that seat. Let the car mold around your drive it's okay for the first couple of races in your Formula One career that you don't bring the results home that you maybe in your head you're expecting, but maybe you don't that's... have to win now. You don't have to win straight away. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's just, that's his mindset. That's how he's been brought up. That's how he uh, analyzes his own races. Um, but he's going about it the wrong way at the moment. If he continues to beat himself up inside that helmet, He'll just continually overdrive that car and not deliver any results at all. And and I mean, I want to see him in F1 more. And hopefully with these races going past, he'll be able to just sort of moderate his drive, both mentally and physically, and, and actually be an entertaining driver. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... 
there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, I want to see that cocky guy that we saw in those early sessions in Bahrain who just looked like he was absolutely on top of the car, delivering lap times that everyone was like, what are we watching here? And it, and as I say, it just felt like a bit of the shine was off him this weekend as a track where he should have been super, super confident. So as ever, as I said right at the beginning, I'm trying not to get overexcited. And I'm trying not to read too much into all of these results, all of these performances. It was a super dodgy race, in the tent, as you say. Conditions were ever-changing. It's a track that's tough to overtake. The field was really bunched up. So, there's a, you know, we're reading too much into a lot of things. But, hey, that's what after the checkered flag is all about. <laughs> so, into 11. And we've got Sergio Perez, who obviously was having, like, an insanely strong weekend until it kind of all got away from him with, well, actually, he started off having that tangle with Ocon. Incredible qualifying. I, I love it when drivers say, I could have been on pole. Well, you're not, but... Um, you know, it's that thing where I could have been. Uh, P2 on the grid, really impressive. Out-qualifying Verstappen, pretty damn cool. Uh, and the race, I thought he was doing okay, like doing a solid job as a number two rebel driver. And then what was it? Why, I, I'm gone mad as to actually remember. What, did he spin off? I, I think he did, he did spin. He did. He, he spun. He spun off. Uh, collected it, got back on track but by that point had fallen well down the order and then didn't come back through the order that convincingly slash maybe he didn't have the chance. Um, yeah, finishing up in, in P11 outside the points. I'm sure Red Bull would have been a bit disappointed, but given the race that we had, given the qualifying performance, I think it'll be a, okay, you know, you're getting there because Bahrain qualifying was his weak point. So if you yeah. think about that's now stepped up, I still, I still think there's a lot of potential in Perez at Red Bull. I'm still really excited to see how he can push Verstappen throughout the year. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The only, the, only thing, the only thing that I would add is going back to what I said in the first podcast. I just believe Perez, Perez believes himself he is the best guy in the grid and just wants to make the weekend a little bit more exciting by having a little bit of a spin and going back and seeing where we can make it back through. <laughs> Amazing. He didn't do it. So, sorry, no. Sergeant. <laughs> um, now, in 10, old Jimmy Alfonso, Fernando Alonso, who I think, I mean, Alpine, how they've ended up in 9th and 10th, I do not know because it felt like they were in 16th and 17th for the majority of the race. And I think some penalties and some of you know, those last-minute incidents has helped them. Um, 
But I, my favourite clip of all time, which felt like a comedy sketch show, was obviously when they were filming the aftermath of Russell and Bottas. And they just zoomed out, and Alonso spun in the double yellow section. And it's like, oh, better pick this back up. And then just kept going. And I was like, the director was like, ha! <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I just listened on the way here to Yano Truly on the official F1 podcast. And it was obviously recorded before maybe the season started or, or not after these races. And he was saying, you know, for Alonso, his head's still in the game. He's still super focused, but it all depends on the car. And I think Fernando must be insanely frustrated because Alpine just do not look competitive. And he's back where he was three years ago, running around at the back of the field. I think he'll, be, he'll get increasingly more frustrated as the season goes on. If Alpine don't pull out some sort of magic trick to develop that car to compete, even with the likes of Ferrari, we know Ferrari had a really good weekend, but in the grand scheme of things, we weren't expecting them to be running where they are. And Renault last season brought home some pretty decent results. And I think Alpine have taken a few steps back and, and Alonso, obviously, he knows how capable he is. He was obviously frustrated within that McLaren family and tried to throw his weight around a little bit, which just unsettled everything. And I feel like he's, really, he's doing everything he can. He's almost like in his own straitjacket to try and avoid that same situation. And I find like we'll get halfway through the season and we'll just see him throw all of the toys out the pram and try to redevelop that car himself. <laughs> so I, my only sneaking suspicion with what's going on there is that the way that they won Danny Rick as well, and I think we spoke about this before, is that Renault as a group, now Alpine as a team, have thrown so much money in development into the 2022 regulations, which were supposed to be 2021, that essentially when that got delayed, they were like, we have no real budget or resource to develop a car for 2021. It's, it's essentially, you know, a small upgrade or small move forward um, from, you know, the, the 2020 car. Um, and I think Alonso maybe is clinging on to the hopes that Danny Rick was as well, that, yeah. uh, you know, next year things are going to turn good. But it, it's going to be a long old season for them, I think, a, a long old slog. And, and you're so right. At what point are we going to hear him shouting GP2 engine? <laughs> what um, you bring in on the whole topic of them not having any money until the next regulations because they've spent all of it. I wonder whether that's why they brought out that 76 grand McGann in the hope that they can <laughs> raise a bit of cash. <laughs> that was to help, help them develop. I mean, that would be country. But uh, anyway, see, so yeah, a ninth Ocon. I mean, I, I don't think he had a, a particularly interesting weekend, so we'll, we'll move on past him. Um, into your into eighth place and your favourite man, old Lance Stroll. I, I will agree with you. Solid result. I mean, you know, I think he put in some, some good driving, some good racing, kept kept the car up there in the points again solidly. Can't knock it. If anything, I was impressed. I'm glad that you're coming around. <laughs> well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but against Mazepin, I... He's, he's looking good. Um, I, just, so. I, I just hope the long, if we champion Stroll throughout this entire series, maybe we can get Lawrence Stroll to fund next season's After the Checkered Flag podcast. Oh, hello. So rich. I'm, I'm, I'm on your thinking. Um, by yeah. the way, can you let me know if someone appears behind me? Because I just checked into this property and it's huge. 
I haven't really locked all the doors yet. So anyways, <laughs> just, just keep me post on that. I keep seeing people looking in the windows. I'm like, oh, is someone about to break in here? Um, okay, seventh, Pierre Gasly, Alpha Tauri. Again, like, I think like Stroll, he's just knocking in the really strong, solid results at the moment. I, I personally expected more from Alpha Tauri early on in the season based on testing. It's not quite happened for them yet, but nailing a P7 is pretty good. Do you think... This is because Ferrari have actually jumped ahead of AlphaTauri. If Ferrari were behind them, they would be up in fifth, fourth. Like, and then obviously that's a pretty impressive result. Agreed. I think. I think. Yeah, there's definitely been a you know a huge switcheroo and move forward of a lot of teams, and and things have changed up in that running order. I think in my head I saw them behind McLaren, AlphaTauri, and I, mm. I do think at some races maybe it's some more some longer tracks, some more tracks like Bahrain. We'll see them come to the forefront a bit more. Uh, Monza maybe for example um, but yeah maybe the pace isn't actually there just in testing and things like that they sort of hinted that it might be but I mean Gasly just it continues to impress and surely he's going to get an opportunity at another big team at some point you've got to think I think he's definitely got more of a chance of having a drive in the future than Bottas does yeah oh my god Gasly to Mercedes <laughs> we, heard, we heard it here first um, <laughs> P6, uh, Danny Rick, who I think continues to admit, and it is clear to see, is struggling with race pace in that McLaren. I mean, I think, yeah. that, I think unfortunately, very obvious to see that. Uh, performed well in qualifying again, out-qualified Lando. So he's obviously got the handle of the car over one lap. Um, but yeah, the minute Lando got through, my God, did Danny Rick go backwards. Yeah. I, I, wonder, I wonder how different all of these Formula One cars are to drive, because we did talk about this in the first podcast and how Danny Rick was nervous about his first day. He's jumped from a Red Bull, which is a notoriously spiky, difficult car to drive, into a Renault that was slightly unreliable, into quite a fast McLaren. That How different are all of these cars for him to really feel like he needs a few races and race weekends to get used to this car? Because... Tire degradation, is that what this word? Great word, great word, yeah. Um, Must play a factor. It must be a major factor for him in race pace as to how can he carry through these lap time after lap times. Because Lando, who's got that car nailed, and I'm sure we'll talk about it with this weekend, um, that hopefully it just is a quick process for Danny Rick because he is one of the most entertaining drivers to watch make these overtakes and obviously compete up onto the podium. I'm sure we'll see him up there this year. He'll get this there. He'll get there. He just needs that time. And I think he admits it himself. And we've seen it over the years with different drivers switching teams. The pace is there. It's just his race pace. He just, you know, he's clearly not on that same level. But he's still, he's keeping there with the results. It's not like he's literally finishing in P15 compared to Norris's P3. Um, but, but, you know, once he's figured that out, I think clearly he'll be right up there because on that one lap pace, he's already right there. So that suggests that a lot more to come from Danny Rick. So uh, I think good at this early stage in his McLaren life that he did that, let Lando through. It made sense, team rules, etc. Not going to knock yeah. that one at all. Um, now, in P5 and P4, Ferrari, yes! Oh, I get to get so excited. The fanboy in me was loving this. At one point, I was literally like, Lewis, do not overtake Leclerc. Like, just do Imola. <laughs> It's Imola, it's Ferrari, come on! Um, I was just praying for forever. And, I mean, I'm going to fanboy again, but what a job Leclerc did. I mean, for a while, you know, holding up Hamilton, I thought I thought I was just genius driving. But also, 
incredible driving throughout. What a, what a great qualifying, what a great race. The man is just a genius. I still always get worried that there's going to be a mistake somewhere, but, but he you know, didn't make one, I don't think, during that Grand Prix. Uh, Carlos made them all. I mean, literally made 15 mistakes. <laughs> but when it counted, he was there to pick up the points. And I think, I think Ferrari must be feeling super happy considering where they were 12 months ago. Yeah, I think you are the perfect person to pick up on everything that happens with Ferrari because I find it really easy. Oh, I'm getting cramped in my hamstring, sorry. <laughs> Stretch it out. What an athlete you are. Moving from the bedroom to the kitchen for this podcast. Really took it out. Uh, is I find it really easy for Leclerc, especially being this protege, this young driver who has definitely got a world champion in him to get completely swept under the rug this weekend, even though he had such a great weekend with qualifying and the race, you've got Verstappen and Norris, who are these super young drivers, that I, I saw a meme, it was so funny, where it's, it's that one where like a mum is holding up the kid in the swimming pool, then you've got a drowning dog, and then you've got someone sunk at the bottom, and like Leclerc was just completely forgotten about, because Verstappen had won and completely ruined this, um, jinx about his Italian Formula One races and Norris in P3. Um, so for you to pick up on all of the Ferrari gossip and Leclerc... Of course, of course I'm all over it, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I'll never I let this podcast down on Ferrari gossip. <laughs> I actually can't wait to see them both. I suppose put consistent races in every week and fight the Red Bull, bring the fight to McLaren, bring the fight to the two top guys because... I think in testing, everyone wrote them off. But the fact that we have another, we have Ferrari right up there is what every single Formula One fan wants, whether they support Ferrari or not. I think what was encouraging to see is it was the second race in a row that they were competitive, more competitive than we were expecting at a completely different track in completely different conditions. I think that as a Ferrari fan was encouraging to see. And, you know, I've spoken about it a lot before. I'm a driver fan more than a team fan. Yes, I love Ferrari road cars. I haven't always been a Ferrari Formula One team fan. The Schumacher years, yes. But in between that, when I became a Hamilton fan, when Schumacher left, you know, the Raikkonen, the Alonso, the Massey years, they weren't necessarily my favorite team. But, but I'm really falling deeply back in love with them now that Leclerc's there. And, and he's definitely my man to follow uh, once Lewis finally, finally bows out. Um, so, yeah, good, good to see them, uh, you know, s- solid points. And long may it continue. Uh, but let's move on to, I actually think, the man of the weekend. Of course, we've still got Hamilton and Verstappen to discuss, which we're going to have to do every single episode, because that clearly is legitimately the fight of the season. But Lando Norris, I mean, this guy, if, if he's not been aging like a fine wine over the last few seasons, uh, it feels like this is his time. That car is definitely quick. He seems to really understand it well over one lap and over a race. His race pace was scintillating. His qualifying <laughs> pace, also fantastic. And uh, great against defensive driving against Lewis. Considered, smart. I mean, all of it. It's just, just so impressive. It was a drive from someone way more experienced and mature than necessarily his racing record suggests. Yeah, I think he definitely got told by Zach Brown to rein in his, his, his joking persona online Take this seriously now. Get your head in it. Obviously, he's a Twitch streamer and he enjoys the bands with his audience. He's got a huge fan club and I'm a massive fan of him. And I just feel like this season, he's matured off the track, which is now starting to bring the results on the track. 
And I'm only frustrated in myself on this weekend with Lando Norris, because when he put that lap in, in qualifying, I went straight onto my betting app to see what his odds were for a podium. And it was nine to two. And I was like, oh, that might be worth like 50 quid. And I checked back, the odds had gone down. I was like, oh, I'll leave it, it's fine. He's probably not gonna get on it. And he, he I would have won loads of money. <laughs> Damn you, Lando. Well, I think, I think there are many more podiums to come. Uh, at the moment, he's obviously got complete handle of Danny Rick, which is impressive. But what I cannot wait to see is once, you know, hopefully uh, Ricardo gets up to speed uh, in the McLaren, that is going to be an almighty battle between those two because, you know, as I say, Lando really, really looks impressive. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't wait to see that. Um, but, yeah, I think definitely he was driver of the driver of the weekend or driver of the race. Anyway, he won the award that he should have won. Um, yeah. So let's come on to the top two. If I'm honest, I'm going to skip straight to Verstappen because I don't really have anything to say about Verstappen. Just a, like a, a mighty race just looked completely imperialist. What's the word that I'm thinking of? He was just, you know, he was out front. He did a great it, race. It was a, it was a drive of a, of, a, of a world champion that was absolutely comfortable at yes. setting the pace, had zero, felt zero pressure. He made sure that, he, I mean, the start was unreal. When yeah. you watch back the start, unreal. And, and also then, that was a message to Lewis. Um, I was just about to say the way he commanded turn one and put Lewis onto those sausage things. I was like, eat the curve. Out the way, old man, out the way. It was, and then you never saw him. And I think Red Bull were a little bit frustrated and their, or Red Bull sponsors were probably a little bit frustrated at the fact that they're paying all of this money to have their, their name on the front running car and they got zero coverage. <laughs> <laughs> never saw him, never saw him. But you know, yes, yeah, super encouraging for our season long battle that, you know, all the promise of testing, all the promise of the early, you know, Bahrain Grand Prix, you know, the pace is there. They, they can command a race, they can get up front, you know, second and third on the grid easily could have been first and second. You know, it was, it was hair whispers, what's it called? Anyway, whiskers of a difference. Very close is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, it's on, that's for sure. And I think the dynamic of Verstappen versus Hamilton is so fascinating because of the, you know, the usurper that this young, agro talent uh, against the old wise man. And it was so interesting to see Hamilton make a mistake for the first time in a very, very long time. And I think he admitted that it was because he was a bit too impatient. He wanted to get through the traffic. Why? Because I think he's really motivated to beat Verstappen. And I think yeah. the reason we haven't seen a mistake with him for ages is he's never needed to really chase after himself. He, he knows he can drive within his ability and still produce results. Okay, he was wise and clever enough to reverse out of the grid and okay fine a bit of a weird thing trying to spin up the wheels and end up going in the barrier but you know in the grand scheme of things incredible recovery drive but to me it was so schumacher alonso in the sense of just those final few chips starting to appear in, in hamilton's unbelievable character that we've seen over the last five years or so yeah i couldn't believe that they called out lewis hamilton's name when you saw the mercedes in the barrier I, I saw it, obviously, when the cameras panned straight to that Mercedes car. Oh, oh, Bottas. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, and that's, that's Lewis Hamilton. Like, it was all so bizarre as to be like, 
Okay, who's clipped him? Own up, who's put him in the gravel? Yeah. Ericsson must have touched him. <laughs> Grosjean came back from America. <laughs> um, and it was quite fascinating to see his brain cogs turning to realise that he needed to reverse back out. That I thought was and how like, gently he did it. Can I yeah. say, like, if you ever go anywhere when it's snowing and people are getting their cars and they're not used to driving on the snow, you always know the pros when they're leaving their parking space and they literally let the car go on idle. Because that's how you do it. If you're ever just a little bit of advice from a <laughs> car, car guys here. Oh, so if you in Scandinavia, this is for you. <laughs> yeah, but if in the UK where we don't get much snow and your driveway's coming to say, do not get in and boot the throttle because all you're going to do is spin up your your wheels and go nowhere. So you've got to creep. And, and it was that same mentality, that same tactic. And I know 99% of my listeners for this podcast are going to know that. Um, but in the same way, you know, that was definitely his, his thought process. Is I've got to keep this, the rev so low just to turn the wheels ever so slightly. Cause if they spin, I'm beached forever. Yeah. I think as I watched him reverse out, my immediate thought was, how many other drivers on that grid would have just planted their right foot on the accelerator in a hope that they could have just spun onto that tiny little bit of tarmac and driven off. And he had that opportunity and realized he gave himself the right amount of time to kind of compose himself after the mistake to make sure that he didn't make another one that would have ended his race. And the fact that as soon as he got back on track, I was like, he's doing it for a P8 or a P7. And then in classic Lewis fashion, red flag, everyone comes back into the pit. It's like a conspiracy theorists are like, hmm, the just get a message, you must crash now. It was kind of that where all of the Formula One gods aligned everything so that they saved Lewis's race. Then he got fastest lap. So he's still leading the world championship by one point. It's just classic Lewis. It's classic, Lewis. And, and things like that could be the title deciders, as we've seen, you know, if it's going to be this epic battle that we're expecting and we haven't seen for, for years, uh, these little moments are what decide titles, absolutely. And, and you know, I still will want to see Verstappen's year play out and see if there are those chinks in the armour that we have seen before uh, and the mistakes come because then races like this where Hamilton can somehow claw his way back to second are what's going to keep Hamilton the champion that, that he is. But yeah, a, a super exciting, a fast, I think it was more of a fascinating race. I mean, of course it was exciting, but it was chaotic at times. I was like, I don't even know what's going on. At one point my sister called me during the rest of life. She's like, I'm confused. I was like, I don't even know what's happening. Um, but it was, yeah, fascinating for the psyche of a lot, lot of us sort of drivers seasons ahead. Um, so yeah, I'm super glad that we've had a chance to sit down and nerd out about it, even though you didn't get to really watch it properly. And we're in completely separate locations and we've had very dodgy Zoom connections. I hope those of you listening, this hasn't been that unbearable. I am concerned that, you know, moving forward, we are going to have to do a few more of these, you know, what we call them, digital or separated podcasts. Virtual. Virtual, thank you, virtual podcast. But I think if we do that, we'll have to step up our production quality slightly. So don't worry, listeners. But uh, anyway, I think for Portugal, hopefully we'll be back in the same place. Uh, maybe we'll look into adding that third guest we always mutter about. <laughs> um, hey, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Invite, maybe we can invite Lauren Stroll in as a third guest and almost just give him a taste of what he could be invested in. What are his like companies? What else does he do apart from Aston Martin? 
um, I don't know, he just seemed really in, into Formula One. And if we continue to hype his son. Uh, no, if I just think that there's another product, we could be like, I love this Mountain Jew. Uh, you know. <laughs> let me Google, anyway. let me Google his uh, Google consortium of brand. Yeah, we'll work it out for, for the next next episode. So yeah, if you want to follow Paul, he's obviously at WallacePDW on most accounts or Supercars of London if you want to see car stuff. Uh, I'm obviously at Scene Through Glass pretty much everywhere. This is Behind the Glass after the checkered flag. Uh, we'll be back with you for the Portuguese Grand Prix in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.